0: Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom, and on this week's episode, we have a return guest who, if I was able to, I would have him almost every week, Stephen M. R. Covey. If you don't know him, you really need to get to know him. I can't imagine you don't know him if you listen to this podcast, but Stephen M. R. Covey, the author of Speed of Trust, which is a life-changing book that if you haven't read or listened to, you need to go check out immediately. He's on today's podcast to talk about his latest book, uh, which is Trust and Inspire. So um, instead of just kind of tell you everything I think about this book, I'm gonna share with you a quote from Dr. Candace Singh, who was on our podcast uh, last season. Um, she's a superintendent of schools in Fallbrook Union Elementary School District. Um, and here is her quote about this book. Trust and Inspire should be the new handbook for every person with a desire to lead others more effectively. In his compelling book, Covey has given us a thoughtful, practical, and inspiring guidepost for leading teams, families, schools, and organizations. As a leader in public education for over 25 years and a teacher of leadership, I am often asked, what is the one book you would recommend on effective leadership? Trust and Inspire is now that one book. It invites us to see the potential for greatness in others and then provides the roadmap for creating trust and inspiration for those who we are privileged to lead i don't know if i could add any words to that so i'm not even going to try this conversation was so much fun to have as every time i talk to steven Amar, i walk away inspired not just motivated as we, we talk about the difference in this conversation about motivation versus inspiration i walk away inspired inspired to get a mirror in front of myself to think about what practices I need to reconsider about my leadership and how i serve and love others um and inspired to do the change and make the change in my life and so this is just another one of those great conversations and my favorite part at the end as you guys know we've been asking people about their habits which his answer is really cool and uh, we've asked about their playlists which is in this in this case uh really opened up uh a whole new light into Stephen Amar. So please hang on for the end because the way he answers it and uh, what he talks about, the music he listens to, definitely surprised me in a really cool way. And it was just really neat to see more of his personality. So this is one of those conversations. Again, you're going to walk away inspired. I hope you're going to want to share this this podcast with the many folks, and ultimately hope you're going to want to pick up Trust and Inspire when it comes out in April. So uh, again, thanks for listening. If you're not, if you haven't subscribed already. Please subscribe uh, if you have. Thank you so much for your support. We we hope this helps you uh, improve in your journey for great to become a great leader, um, as it is me. Because uh, every day I get on here, it's it's a blessing, and I learn so much. So I hope it's doing the same for you. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy this conversation. All right, Stephen. Thank you so much for making time to be here with us again. Oh, Destin, it's always
1: great to be with you. Oh, I, is, I love
0: it. I'm excited. As you know, we just had your son on recently. Uh, and so there's no pressure in terms of uh, what you have to stand up to today, because he was uh, mildly impressive to say the least, which I'm sure you're
1: not surprised by. No, not surprised. I for for this is uh, my son Britton. For yes. years, I for years I've I've always been introduced and known as Stephen R. Covey's son. <laughs> now I'm being introduced as Britton Covey's dad, and <laughs> good- I'm okay with it because he's. He's a pretty remarkable young man. I'm very proud of him, and and very articulate, well spoken. And and the thing is, is he's he's uh that's who he is. He's he's a genuine, caring, kind, uh, gracious, intelligent person. It's just it's just who he is.
0: Well, he was very kind to my eight-year-old son, who I brought on the end of the podcast, and so he's got another super fan now, um, which is. I may hit him up for later. Um, so you've been on before, you know, our first question, but I always give people a chance if you come back to answer it again, just to see how you've evolved. And so first question that we ask everybody is who are you and what do you love about what you do?
1: Yes, I am a father and a husband and I am a thinker and a leader. And, and, um, I, what I love about what I do, I, I work on thought leadership and I'm conveying it and teaching it. And what I love about what I do is the, the chance to try to increase trust and inspiration in our world, in our world today. In our schools, in our districts, um, in our states, in our countries, in our businesses, in our governments, in our NGOs in our hospitals, our healthcare systems, we, we are living in a world of declining trust and we're dangerously low in inspiration. And if we can increase trust and inspiration in these areas, in our lives, in our communities, what an impact that might have. And so I feel like I'm doing something that matters mm. and that makes a difference. And I feel like that's my purpose and, and uh, to try to increase trust and inspiration in our world today, starting with each person. So that's exciting to me, and it, it inspires me itself.
0: Well, you and I met uh, some years ago while we were both traveling to visit some educators together. And, and so you know my role is I travel a lot throughout the country and talk to educators all the time. And it, I feel that trust has never been more needed than now. And my question to you is, as someone who's probably the most prominent thought leader on organizational trust, when did that hit you? And how did that become uh, kind of the foundation of your viewpoint on leadership?
1: Really about 15 years ago, when I first came out with the book, I I began to see it everywhere. How trust um, made such a profound difference and impact on everything and how most of this stuff on trust was either too soft or too academic, mm. you know, too simplistic, or, or, or too high level and, and not practical enough. And, and, um, and I felt like trust is impacting everything in leadership, in life. It is trust that makes our world go round. And yet we've kind of either approached it too simplistically, kind of trust everyone, you know, or too academically, with you know just two um, erudite models that are not practical and useful. Yep. And so I felt like this is so useful and so so important, and it's impacting everything. And we've got to get our arms around it, and we can we can actually build trust on purpose. And I felt like I could make a difference in contributing to the conversation. So I felt called to focus on trust. And so that was 15 plus years ago, I guess, 16 years ago, 2006, when the, when the Speed of Trust book came out. And the interesting thing, Dustin, is I recently put out an updated edition of the Speed of Trust book. And I, I added an afterword. And the afterword was titled, the top 10 reasons Why the Speed of Trust book is more relevant today than it was when I published it? You know, uh, 15 plus years ago, and and it's because while it hit me 15 plus years ago, you look around today, just to your point, we've never seen a need for greater trust than we do right now, and that's especially true in education, as we're. You know, navigating through and coming out of this pandemic and where we are in this process and, and, um, and the need for trust and for inspiration for that matter as well is just, is just so great. And at, with all stakeholders at every level and, and, um, you know, for, for teachers, for, for administrators, for principals, for superintendents, uh, there's, we, we live in a world of declining trust. And so uh, it's become so important because of the lack of it. It's kind of like uh, what Warren Buffett said about air um, you know, and, and trust. He said, trust is like the air that we breathe. And when it's present, you don't focus on it as much, but when it's absent, then everyone notices. And right now we're seeing an absence of trust. So everyone is noticing the need for trust. And so that's, Kind of a little bit of the journey. So my my work is only beginning. <laughs> I'm nowhere close to being done because we need trust now more than ever before.
0: Well, to your point, I think one of the the things I find most inspirational about your trust works, particularly focused on speed of trust right now, is that it really does feel timeless. I have educators right now that are friends of mine that have gone through your training, you know, years ago and just took their staff again, through it again, and it's even more relevant, more powerful to them. And so you have this amazing content that is transforming the lives of millions of people across the world. And we're here today to talk about your new book that's just coming out uh, here in the next week or so, I think, uh, Trust and Inspire. What what led you to want to go down this path (laughs) as you hold it up?
1: Yeah, for those that are able to watch this, I'm holding it up. And those that aren't, it's trust and inspire. What, I'll tell you what, Dustin, what led me down this path is, is looking around and seeing how our world is changing all around us. And yet, our style of leadership is not. It's not keeping pace with the changes in the world. We're still too much trapped in the old model of how we lead that kind of is a relic of the industrial age. It's coming out of that time. And, and, um, and what's happened is we just become kind of better, more sophisticated, more advanced in our old model of leadership of what I, might, what we, what I call command and control. And, and uh, it's just that today we're better at it, more sophisticated, more advanced, what I call enlightened command and control. But our paradigm of how we view people how we view leadership is still coming from the industrial age world. And, and um, we haven't upgraded it to a new way of thinking about people and leadership for the new world. And so it's that idea of it, that uh, we've got to catch up with leadership to where the world is. And and uh, and that's true in education. It's It's really, I believe, true in education. It's true in most industries um, there's a few industries that maybe are a little bit further down this path, but most are still kind of trapped in the old model of command and control, and better yet, enlightened command and control, which is better. It is better. Well, sorry to interrupt, but when
0: you say that, you know, I think most of our listeners are folks that like to get a mirror in front of their own practices pretty quickly when they're listening. And so for me, you know, I hear you say enlightened command and command control. What's the difference? How do I know if I'm in that? Enlightened command and control versus
1: moving towards trust and inspire. Yeah. Um, so questions are, um, how do you view people? Um, do you see the greatness inside of them so that your job as a leader becomes one of trying to unleash that greatness? Or do you see people as needing to be contained, mm. and in some cases, even controlled? how do you see people holistically? Do you see the whole person or do you see the economic part that says pay me well or the whole person that says motivation is not enough? I want inspiration. People don't want to be motivated. They want to be inspired. Do I see that? Or am I still trying to motivate people instead Mm -hmm. of inspire people? Um, How do I view, do I view that there is enough for everyone? a true abundance mentality in a world of scarcity, such that I would elevate caring above competing, or are we still too too much competing for scarce resources and competing amongst ourselves and between teams instead of truly caring and collaborating? Do I see leadership as stewardship, a job with a trust where it's not a position it's a, it's a moral authority. It's, it's, it's a, a, an inherent responsibility I'm given that comes with leadership and, and um, versus leadership as a position that I'm, I'm the leader, I'm the boss, I'm the person in charge. And, and do I see also the, the very nature of this podcast, Change Starts Here, of do I see that enduring influence is created from the inside out? Mm-hmm. So my job as a leader is to go first, change starts here, or am I waiting on everyone else to change, waiting on my district to change, or my school to change, or my boss to change, my principal, my superintendent, my teachers, whoever to change, Or am I going first, leading out of modeling, so these are some of the fundamental beliefs of a trust and inspire leader versus a command and control leader that might still operate with um, old thinking of how we view people, how we view leadership, and and um, and so that's Kind of a difference, but uh, I'll tell you a little story on this that you'll find interesting. I was with an education audience, and I had some two thousand plus educators in the room, ranging from um, principals and assistant principals um, to um, folks at the district level, including assistant superintendents and superintendents, and and curriculum leaders and, and the like. So you know, mostly at the school and district level leaders of every kind. There weren't as many edu- uh, teachers per se, but most of the people in the room had been teachers at some point, or at least many had. And, um, and I, and I t- highlighted about what a trusted, inspired leader does different than a command and control leader and an enlightened command and control. And I highlighted on three specific stewardships. They model, they trust, and they inspire. And it was interesting because afterwards I had a superintendent of a district come up to me and say, Stephen, when you started your presentation, I was instantly, I instantly put myself in that. Well, I'm a trust and inspire superintendent. Of course I am. And, and, uh, but the further you went into it and the deeper you went into these different stewardships and the fundamental beliefs behind them. I realized, you know what? I'm not quite trust and inspire yet. I'm still enlightened command and control because while I'm trying to be a model and while I'm trying to inspire others through my behavior, I realize I don't trust that much <laughs> i trust I trust some, but not abundantly, and I'm not really a scene. The, the potential and trying to unleash it as, as as much. although I want to myself model the behavior and be inspiring personally, I realize I don't trust as much and and I and I kind of made the point of I, that's the number one barrier to becoming a trust and inspired leader is that we think we already are one <laughs> and and uh, so sometimes reflecting on that and this leader kind of said, I realize there's still a gap there and so I think it is, I think you know we're always probably somewhere on the continuum, and it, and and it's probably not all or nothing. We're on a journey on a path of getting there. Right, that's the idea: is to look at the fundamental beliefs behind it and the stewardships of what trust and inspire leadership looks like.
0: Well, as you are talking of that example, one of the things I think about with my friends who are teachers, principals, or administrators, um, I feel like there's such low trust with the community right now that every misstep by, you know, one of those folks, superintendent, assistant, principal, teacher can lead to so much heartache and pain in the social media or the news that I, who would like to be a trust inspired person might find myself going to a more command and control out of just being scared of the what ifs, what kind of encouragement do you have leaders that are kind of paralyzed in that stage right now?
1: I understand. First of all, I, I understand it. And because context matters. And that's our context right now. And um, here's the danger, though, of leading out with that. If we, in a low trust world, we all become a little bit more careful, more cautious, more guarded, and people respond back more careful, more cautious, more guarded, and we could find ourselves perpetuating this vicious cycle of distrust and suspicion, creating more distrust and suspicion and everybody feeling justified in the process. Distrust is contagious. Mm. But thankfully, so is trust. And trust and confidence can create more trust and confidence. So, but in that context of a low trust environment with different stakeholders, where everyone's a defender for a word, so to speak, and, and, and they're really waiting to kind of pounce on something, you have to be careful. And so I'm not advocating you just go out and just trust anyone and everyone. Um, regardless of the situation, the circumstances, I think you have to look at context. And I would say if you could try to proceed with what I call a smart trust, and a smart trust is really blending two key dimensions. The first is your propensity to trust. By propensity to trust, I mean an inclination, a bias, a desire to trust. I'd like that to be high because that opens you up to possibilities. That flows out of your heart. But you're going to balance that with your analysis of the context of the situation, the risk involved, the credibility of the people involved. And when there's a lot of people out there kind of already starting from a place of distrust and trying to find areas that you're falling short, you got to be a little bit careful about that. And so it's a blending of heart with head, propensity to trust with analysis, the, the context to try to find a sweet spot using good judgment of kind of maybe where to trust, how much to trust. But what I am saying is this is rather than just perpetuating the vicious downward cycle, where, because they don't, they come in with distrust and you come right back with distrust, you'll discontinue it. Instead, if you could say, look, if you can come in and maybe declare your intent, that the best way that we're going to improve our schools, the best way we're going to improve our community and our the work we do as students and the work we do as schools is to build greater trust with each other on our teams. And we know we need to go first. We we need to model it. So I'm going to lead out as a principal, I'm going to lead out as a superintendent, as an administrator and try to go first. I'm going to declare my intent and you open yourself up. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's why always give the why behind the what. If you give people a new lens through which they might view you, maybe someone begins to do that. And then I may lead out a little bit and say, and 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 choose to be a little bit open, a little bit transparent, talk straight about it, be authentic, be real. And I might not go all the way with this because maybe that's too risky right now. But maybe I'll go part of the way. Maybe I'll do a little bit, but just showing how there's nothing to hide here. I don't have a hidden agenda. I have an open agenda. I'm transparent and I'm opening, I'm declaring my intent, maybe even declaring myself. Here's who I am. Here's how I want to lead. And it includes building trust. And I know it doesn't just happen. So we have to work at it. And I'm willing to go first. That That's the idea is you take that first step versus kind of just continuing to perpetuate that vicious downward cycle that we're trapped in right now.
0: I've I've run into leaders before that have have a team of folks where they receive some feedback that trust is low and we're going to pivot to inspire in a second. But before we get there, I just, I think there are some folks that, um, can get into these little dark spaces in their leadership where they look around, they just got some feedback and they believe no one in their staff trust them. No one wants to follow them, but they know they are called to be there. They want to get people out. What? So I, I, I'm thinking it's some of the advice that you just gave about how to have smart trust, but, how, when, you, when a leader feels like their culture is almost bankrupt of trust, what are the baby steps that they can take to start breaking out of that? Because they want to lead, they want to take it to a new place, but they recognize they've let folks down.
1: Yeah. Well, that leader um, also needs to look in, into the mirror and help the entire team look into the mirror and ask themselves, you know, do I trust myself? Do I give to my team, a leader who they can trust? Is it smart to trust me? When it comes to trust, it's very easy, Dustin, to think that everybody else is the problem. And like my dad says in Seven Habits, right? If you think that the problem is out there, is everybody else, <laughs> that very thinking is the problem. We've disempowered ourselves. same with trust. If kind of everybody else is the problem, it may be there's some truth to that, right? But that's disempowering. Look in the mirror and ask, how credible am I? How trustworthy am I in terms of my character, my competence? And does it get manifest in my behavior? Am I talking straight? Am I demonstrating respect? Those two behaviors are beautifully balanced together. Am I creating transparency? Am I clarifying expectations? Am I practicing accountability by holding myself accountable first? So I can hold others accountable. Second, you know, am I listening first? Am I keeping commitments? Am I extending trust? So really looking in the mirror and imagine if everyone were to do it, not just the one leader, but if every leader were to say, look in the mirror and say, How credible am I? How trustworthy am I? And focus on my own credibility, my own trustworthiness, and my own behavior that illustrates that, then I'm modeling that for others of what we're looking for how we expect to behave, and this is the kind of behavior that we're seeking to have straight talk and to listen first to each other and to show respect, demonstrate respect for what we hear, and I model that Uh, because when you're devoid of trust, you need someone to be a model. (laughs) A model can become a mentor, and you can be the model, and then you can help others become the model because you mentor them, and you ripple out the ripple effect metaphor inside out, and someone has to go first, and that's what you can do as a leader. And then we'll start with being trustworthy. I call that in speed of trust credibility. But another word for it is trustworthy. But it's not enough to merely be trustworthy in order to have trust. So consider this, Dustin. You could have two trustworthy people working together, and yet no trust between them, even though they're both trustworthy, if Neither person is willing to extend trust to the other. Mm. So not only do we have to be trustworthy in order to have trust, we also have to be trusting and be willing to give it and take that risk to give it in order to receive it, to create that reciprocity. of us. And I find in many districts, many schools that I, I literally find it. Probably some 50-50 on those two fronts. That sometimes, yes, there's issues of being trustworthy, being credible, either at some level where we're not behaving in ways that build and earn trust. We've lost it through behavior, and you can't. So we're not being trustworthy. But I find it equal in the aggregate that our problem is that we're not trusting enough. We're not extending trust enough to people. And people don't feel trusted. And they live down to that distrust, as opposed to rise to the trust being given. And so both parts are important to be trustworthy and to be trusting. And so for for a leader, really look in the mirror on both fronts. Am I trustworthy? Do I trust myself? Do I give to my team a leader who they can trust? Does it get demonstrated, not just in my credit, my character, my confidence, does it also get demonstrated in my behavior? Am I behaving in ways that build trust? Am I modeling the behavior of the others so they know who to look to and to follow? And are we creating that kind of cumulative culture, that a a norm, a cultural norm of the kind of behavior? (laughs) But equal to all those is, am I also trusting? And so that, those two parts. Were worthy trusting to create trust. And I find that we're lacking in both fronts, not just in the one. And and we got to get good at both. And someone needs to go first. Leaders go first. That's why change starts here. Someone needs First, and that's what leaders do. They go first.
0: That was the point behind it. Well, I know you and I could trust uh, talk trust until we're blue in the face. And so, the part I am really intrigued by, as a former teacher and coach, is this inspiration piece. And particularly when you talk about the difference between motivation and inspiration, can you define that before talking through the power of the inspire piece of this?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, motivation is a good thing, right? And and it's a positive thing. And Who doesn't want to be motivated? We all do. And it's just that if that's all we achieve is motivation, then we tend to just need more and more of it. And and we got to come back to it. So we use rewards to motivate and we use external, extrinsic things to motivate. And do rewards motivate? Sure. They motivate people to want to get more rewards and it becomes this ongoing treadmill process of kind of motivating people constantly. And how long it lasts depends upon the circumstances, the situation of the person, but generally not long. So it's external, it's extrinsic, it's outside of people. Inspiration is internal, it's intrinsic, it's inside of people. And our job as a leader is to ignite the fire within. To breathe, to inspire it comes from the Latin term "inspirare" to breathe life into something. So I'm breathing life into something and igniting the fire within. And if, if if that's inside of people, it's already there. We're not putting it into people. We're tapping into what's already there. And if you do that, if you if you light the fire that's already within, that can that can burn for years, in some cases, without the need to constantly externally provide more carrot and stick. See, command and control is a carrot and stick approach to motivation. And that's been called the great jackass spirit theory of motivation. You know, more carrots, more sticks, and and um, in various forms. And But it's all extrinsic and external. Trust and inspire. Inspiring people. Inspiration is intrinsic, it's internal, and that can live on without the need to constantly come back to more and more and greater and greater motivation and more rewards that you're putting out at people. And and so you're tapping into what's already there. And so that's a better way to lead. And I make the point that in today's world, people don't want to be motivated. They want to be inspired. Why? Because they're whole people, body, heart, mind, spirit. It's not just economic beings. They have a desire for connection. It is desire for contribution and for meaning and for purpose for mattering. And so therefore, to be inspired, and it's a better way to lead in our world. I think this is where um, the puck is going to use the Wayne Gretzky metaphor. When he was asked, what makes you so good? And he says, I don't skate to where the puck has been, I skate to where the puck is going to be. I think the puck is going towards inspirational leadership, towards inspiration. I actually think this, that inspiration is the next frontier of engagement. I think it's a whole other level beyond it. And there's data that would validate that. A a study from Bain and company shows that inspired employees are even 56% more productive than fully engaged. Employees. So there's another level, of, and it's it's inspiring people, inspirational leadership, trust and inspire is my capture, you know, in juxtaposition to command and control, yep. even enlightened command and control. That's the old model. The new model: trust and inspire, and it's those three simple stewardships. You model, you trust, you inspire and it's a better way to lead. And so, yes, we have a lot about modeling. We've, we understand that, you know model the behavior. We have a lot about trusting, I just talked about it. Trusting, you gotta go first and extend the trust. Inspiring others, that's the new area of opportunity. I think it's inspiring others is the new competitive advantage for a school and for a, a district to, ins- to inspire your people, to inspire your teachers to inspire your students, to inspire your your parents and your communities. And here's my basic premise. And I'll I'll pause on this one to let you dig deeper. Everyone can inspire. Inspiring others is a learnable skill. It's not just for the charismatic. We too often equated charisma with inspiration. But Dustin, I'll bet you're like me. I know a lot of people who are charismatic Who don't inspire at all they might be motivating but they're not necessarily inspiring and on the other hand i know many people who are not necessarily charismatic at all but who are extremely inspiring because of who they are your very question to start off these podcasts who are you who they are can inspire how they lead can inspire Their modeling can inspire. The way they trust people can inspire. Their care for others could inspire. Their 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 connecting people to purpose can inspire. And they may not be charismatic at all. So there's no equation between, you know, charisma and inspiration. Anyone can inspire. It's a learnable skill, and that is a big idea to separate you know charisma from inspiration. So we can all do this. And I recognize this is our job. Let's get good at this in our world today. That's what's needed so much. So as you're
0: talking, um, yeah, I'm a big college basketball fan. Uh, Coach K, who you probably know is retiring after 42 years at Duke, which is just incredible to be somewhere. And I'm reading a recent book that came out about the rise and reign of Coach K. And when they talk about the different teams that have been successful, to your point, there is trust. There was direct talk and high trust and accountability amongst the teams. And there was inspiration, not just motivation, not rah, rah. There was inspiration. And so like, they didn't say it the way you did, but like, it's hitting me really hard analyzing the different years of his his success. So when you think about inspiring, like if I want to create an inspirational team, what are the steps I can start taking to start doing that?
1: Yeah. And first of all, I think coach K is a good illustration of trust and inspire. And he started off probably earlier, more as command and control. Yes. You know, and, and, uh, but, but over the years, he changed as the world changed to a new style of leadership that's more relevant, trust and inspire and, and, and such. That doesn't mean you're still not authoritative. You can be authoritative without being authoritarian and, you know, because of, of how you approach it. But um, here's the idea. If everyone can inspire, so how do you inspire? Well, If I come back to those three stewardships, you model, you trust, you inspire, the first two stewardships will help you inspire. Modeling the behavior inspires people. There's overwhelming data on this. A study from LRN shows leaders who model humility are 18 times more likely to inspire those that they're leading. Not just not a little bit, 18 times more likely When you model humility, and I would add to it, and courage to the juxta, you know, the the paradoxical combination, as Jim Collins called it, humility and courage. That's something you model. You model authenticity and vulnerability. You model empathy and performance. All of that inspires. Modeling the behavior inspires. So you're already on, on, uh, you know, part, part of the way home when you model. When you trust others, that inspires them. In fact, I like to say, to be trusted is the most inspiring form of human motivation. What it does to people, how it brings out the very best in them. They rise to the occasion, they perform better, and they want to give the trust back to you. Mm-hmm. And so, again, you're further home when you do that. So you model, that inspires. You trust, that inspires. Then, the, then we now move to the third stewardship, which is inspiring, inspiring, Now, again, modeling and trusting already helps you inspire. But now I'm going to add a few more key things to it. When you connect with people and then connect people to purpose, those two things inspire. So connecting with people, how? Through caring and through belonging. Caring at the personal, interpersonal level belonging at the team level. When, when people feel that you care about them, it inspires them. When they genuinely feel it, that, that you are a caring person, that you care about them and their interests, their needs, their win, their life, their family, their situation. Not just that you're listening to it, but that you care about it. It's like the, you know, the common expression that we all know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's simple and yet that difficult. So my question to all of us is, what's your span of care? Not span of control. Got this from Bob Chapman, but your span of care, span of control, it's the old con- command and control model. You know That's the way of how many people report to me. What's your span of care? Concern, damaging that care and concern, that inspires people. And then on a team level, when you build a sense of of belonging and inclusion, that also inspires people. They're they're thrilled to be part of it. These are the teams you've talked about with uh, with Coach K. They're part of a team. There's a sense of belonging that inspires, and a sense of purpose that inspires. So you can inspire by connecting with people through caring and belonging, and connecting to purpose, to meaning, to contribution, to mattering. And that's where the leader can try to create and embed purpose, meaning and contribution into the work that you're doing, into the roles that people have. And you're, you're intentional about it, you're deliberate. And some will be more naturally. I'll tell you what, in education, there's more natural connections to make because of the very nature of your work being so important for the world, for society, the, the education of our students, of our children, of students. So there's a lot of purpose, meaning, and contribution in that, and yet we've become a little bit almost distant from it because of all the challenges and all the distrust and all the lack of inspiration and the command and control that's been put in our way. That we feel a little bit almost distant from that, and yet there's such purpose, meaning, and contribution in the work of education that we can if we can tap into and if if teachers can feel this, and administrators and leaders can feel this, why their work matters, why their leadership matters. And and, and, and really connecting to that, not just mission, but purpose and meaning and contribution. That's the opportunity. And my premise is that you can embed, you can create and embed purpose, meaning, and contribution into almost any role into almost any organization. And I certainly know you can do it in education in a significant way. So we're just trying to get really good at this. That will inspire people.
0: I I know we can pre-order your book now, but I'm getting so excited. I'm like, where is it on my nightstand? Uh, When can we get this? Do you know when the first day it's going to become
1: available for us to show up in our inboxes? April 5th, 2022. (laughs) April 5th, 2022. Trust and inspire how truly great leaders unleash greatness in others. Well, before we wrap up,
0: I know I just want to honor your time. So we, this season, you're on one of our first guests ever, but this season we tried to ask a few other questions just to get to know more about our guests. And so I'll ask a few of these quick questions and then I'll come back to let you wrap it up with just the last bit of advice. Okay. So one of the questions that we have for everybody this year is what
1: are the ha-
0: daily or weekly habits or disciplines that you have that you think uh, you, you use to make you the best version of yourself?
1: Well, I try to do the things that my, I learned from my, my dad, right? The, the daily private victory, where I focus on body, heart, mind, spirit, mm. all four dimensions. I try to do it every day. Some days I'm better than others, but I try to do it every day. And in you know, some physical exercise activity, the social- emotional, for me, I try to make some deposits into the emotional bank account, the trust account of the most important relationships in my life. And I probably tend to do that more on a weekly basis where I identify people I want to um, connect with oh. and 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 show I care. And but but I'll try to do that even daily, just to say who can I, who can I connect with today? Who can I make a deposit with today? Who can I show care and concern with today? And then the mental, I try to have a, a you know rituals around learning and and um, whether it be reading or podcasts or other things, I'm trying to always stay current and learning. And then for me, the the spiritual, the holistic, the idea of always connecting to what's important to me, what matters to me, to my highest values. My, the most important things to me, always coming back to that. And I try to do it every day, not just once a week, but every day. And so the daily private victory around, uh, you know, the sharpen the saw and seven habits, yep. the physical, social, mental, spiritual is something I try to do every day. And and I look, I'm 80% of the time there. I'm, I'm not 100%. So don't don't hold me up for, as a perfect standard on this, Dustin, other than I keep coming back, trying time and again to get back on track when I fall off.
0: Well, I, I appreciate your, your honesty there. I remember uh, your dad, I got a chance to meet briefly before he passed. And uh, I remember asking him, and he's the same question that he's used with other folks before. But you know, I asked him, how, how do you do it, live in the habits? And he said, I give myself, I don't know, B minus, B, C plus. So, you know, he was being honest with me. I was like, thank you. Like If he would have said, A, like, I do it every day. I just want to hear strive to do it because we're yeah. all flawed. We're all full of false starts. We're all have get distracted by the whirlwind of life. And so I'll say it's just refreshing to have that true north of saying, I'm going after this daily private victory. And when I get off, I know how to get back on the rails. So that was refreshing. Thank you.
1: It is. It, it is hopeful. Right. <laughs> even, even my dad fell short, but but he did a great job, but he was we were really good at getting back on track. So I learned that from him too. <laughs>
0: So you talk about uh, learning from others. You cited a gentleman that uh, wrote a book that lives probably a few miles from me and Bob Chapman. And I, I do appreciate his writing. Uh, what, what books or podcasts uh, have you listened to lately or read lately that have really made a huge influence on your paradigms in life?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you one that has that just come out right now. But I, I happened to read it in advance because I endorsed it. It's a book by uh, um, Dr. Christine Porath. Okay. He is a, a professor of management at, at, at uh, Georgetown University. Brilliant thinker. And she wrote a wonderful book a few years ago called Mastering Civility. She's probably considered one of the world's authorities, authorities on civility. That was a great book, mastering civility, but she her brand new book is called mastering Community, and she's really kind of taking on some of this fact that we've become so divided as a society, and and um um in so many different ways in our politics in our in our social and other ways, and we've really become quite divided and how how uh, there's a cost to that, and how if we can learn to master community, that within communities, we learn to come together and let our differences become our greatest strengths, just like you do in a team and like you do in an organization. What if we could do that in our communities as well? So she's applying the community idea, yes, to communities, but also to any community within an organization that also could come together. And the subtitle is The Surprising Ways Coming together moves us from surviving to thriving. And, and, um, and it's really a brilliant book that's so needed in our low trust world, in our divided world. We need to learn to master community and get good at this. And, and it's another way of saying of a, of a team, and uh, but just you know, in, in different contexts. And she talks about uniting and unleashing and respecting. And providing radical candor is part of it, providing meaning and boosting um, well-being is all part of this. And she gives some practical tools to do this because it's hard when, when uh, people are divided and there's not a lot of empathy and a lot of listening going on. And, and we've got to take those steps to do it. So trust is part of that. Inspiration <laughs> is part of that. But those are also outcomes as we do this well that will increase. And so it's a brilliant book, Mastering Community, Uh, Chris Porath. uh, She's, she's, she's a friend, I was really honored to endorse her book. And it's a brilliant book. And she's a brilliant uh, leader.
0: Well, I feel like, just like your trust inspire that that uh, coming together as a community has never been more important. I look at, I uh, worked in DC for a while and was surprised This is 20 some odd years ago, to see people with very different political ideologies hang out behind the scenes, really know each other, really care for each other. And I feel like a lot of that's gotten away to where we don't celebrate differences like it has in the past. And I think we're seeing that in every aspect of community. So I think that's a very timely subject that I'm sure she knows is one that's ready to be heard.
1: It's really timely. It's very aligned with my work and we're coming at it from different angles. But I think that it's all part of trying to create a better better world, better society.
0: Last quick question, then I'm going to hand the floor to you to yeah. close this out. Uh, when you're driving somewhere, when you're working out, uh, wherever you have a playlist, like when you think about when you're listening to music, I'm just curious what, what music might be on your playlist if you listen to music. I did have, we have a mutual friend of Meg Thompson, and she's the one person who told me you know, I do listen to music and I have lots, but I prefer my sports talk radio because she lives in Philly. And so that was one of the more unique answers. So I don't want to pigeonhole you into music if that isn't your thing. But I am curious, uh, what are you listening to when you have
1: time to do that? Okay, I, I love music and I love <laughs> to go to concerts and I go to concerts all over. And um, One of my favorite things is when I'm giving a presentation, say in Las Vegas, which there's a lot of events in Las Vegas. So I do a lot of those there. I'll always try to find a headliner, and I've I've seen Elton John there, I've seen Queen there, James Taylor, Shania Twain, Celine Dion. You know, I love them all. I just like performers and doing their craft, so to speak. And and uh, um, so they're a lot of fun. But uh, I love uh, the band Coldplay. Wow! And you know, they're, they're alternative rock, I guess they're called. <laughs> yes. But I I followed them for twenty years. I mean, I you know started with their first album Parachutes and I just stayed with them. And, and, you know, and, and, uh, to me, I think they make such interesting music, such interesting sounds and, and, uh, and they're constantly evolving and changing. And it may not be as avant-garde as some of the, some people today that might like some newer stuff, but I, to me, they're, they're, they're extraordinary and classic. And then I love, of course, kind of classic rock, (laughs) <laughs> um, that's why I told you I went to Queen and and John stuff like that and and I, I love some of the, the the older stuff. I also went to Aerosmith by the way in Las Vegas, which was fun, and and um, uh, but but Coldplay is is uh I think they have some extraordinary sounds in in their music and they and they put on a great concert, of course. They are phenomenal live. I was I was actually shocked. I've seen a couple of their shows,
0: like shocked how engaging it is. When you've got their main star uh, at the piano Chris Martin. the whole time, yep,
1: yeah, Chris Martin. He 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 works so hard at that concert. He just is giving everything he has, and as if it was the only concert it was ever giving. All of them do. They're they're just they're just an amazing band putting on put on a phenomenal concert. So that's you you actually tapped into a little hobby of mine. It's I love it. I love concerts. <laughs> <laughs> love going to concerts and and and, uh, and and I'll go to all kinds. I'll go to country music too and, 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 and I love the symphony and I love opera so I love all kinds of music. You can't just pin me down but if but when I choose something and want to really relax, I'll tend to put on coldplay.
0: That is that is awesome. Uh, my wife, we're in the throes of having young kids right now. So going to concerts isn't our thing. But prior to the young kids, we would go to random concerts all the time. And so we're dying to get back into it. Um, yeah.
1: And I and I take my kids to concerts. I took my my uh, my 18 year old daughter, just uh, Justin Bieber recently. <laughs> she loved it. And, you know, I've, I've taken her to Taylor Swift you know, a couple of <laughs> times and she puts on a great concert, too. Yeah. So, anyway, all kinds of music for me.
0: That's awesome. I'm gonna just tell everybody in the intro that you're a Bieber fan, a believer. I think <laughs> what called. Um, all right. So usually at this point, it's the last question where I just ask, you know, uh, all the thought leaders we have are surrounded by great leadership advice on how do we create change or whatever topic we're discussing in our lives. And so for you, I, I do think it's important because I had the opportunity to hear you uh, speak when we were in Hawaii recently, and I feel like um, the content of what you're trying to get out is so timely. I would just like for you, I won't pigeonhole you in any way, but I'd like for you just to share uh, one last thought of why people need to really consider to, to dive into trust and inspire.
1: Yeah, I would say this, Destin, because the world has changed all around us. And the old way of leading whether it's command and control or enlightened command and control or what have you, what, what you might call it. Um, it's past its expiration date. It doesn't work anymore as if it ever really did. And, and it certainly doesn't bring out the greatness that's inside of people. There's, there's just too, too great a gap between people's potential and their performance and too great a gap between kind of what's needed. You know, most, my father used to always say, that the vast majority of the workforce has far more talent, creativity, ingenuity, intelligence, energy than their current job allows, or requires, or even allows them to contribute. And what an indictment on our leadership, if that's the case, and it is the case, Mm -hmm. that there's just too big a gap between between, uh, what people are capable of and what they're actually giving. And so we need a leadership that brings that out. We need a different way of leading in a new world. A new world of work requires a new way of leading. And all the changes that have hit us in our society with the nature of technology changing. And, and you know, so the world has changed with technology. Um, the nature of the workplace is changing, work from home, work from anywhere. And you know, not as much in the school setting, but still there's that element of that that's still happening. The nature of the workforce is changing, far more diverse than ever before. The nature of uh, work itself is changing, more collaborative, more interdependent. The nature of choice is changing. We've gone from multiple choice to infinite choice. All these forces of change have created a different environment. And to try to lead in this new world of change with the old model of leadership is just irrelevant for our times, as well as uninspiring and not gonna work very well, just put it mildly. So we need a new way to lead in this new world. Trust and inspire, in juxtaposition to this command and control. And and this is what, it's aspirational. Isn't that what we all want? To be trusted, to be inspired? I like to point out that people don't wanna be managed. People wanna be led, they wanna be trusted, they wanna be inspired teachers do administrators do principals do even superintendents do they all we all long for this and so this is trying to give us a style of leadership that is timely and relevant for the challenges in front of us for our world today and it's learnable it's doable you model you trust you inspire. Those are the stewardships. We can get good at this. And we need it now more than ever. And so any leader, any teacher can do this. You can be a trust and inspired teacher in your classroom and with your students and with your parents. You, as your principal, you can be a trust-inspired principal or trust-inspired curriculum leader or a trust inspired superintendent, whatever vantage point you can become a trust-inspired person, a trust inspired educator, a trust inspired leader. And with that, Impact the people around you and let this ripple out. This is what's needed in our world today. And, and, um, and so I invite you, our listener and viewer, to join me, to join Just, Destin, to join countless others with a new way to lead in this new world. Trust and inspire and watch what we can do together to build a better world. Thanks so much. What an honor to be with everyone. And with you, Destin. I love what you're doing. Love your modeling of it. And and, um, and the difference you're making, and and that truly that change starts here. Yeah, well, I feel starts here as well.
0: I feel really blessed, as you know, to be a part of this organization. And uh, anytime we get to have you on, I get goosebumps and excited. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, like I said we'll have to. I'll ask my son after he watches this episode to see if you lived up to uh, Britain's hype. But. Uh, I appreciate you so much. All kidding aside, thank you for having the courage to go out there and put yourself out there and your ideas out there, especially ones like trust and inspire that are so timely to what we need right now. Um, I think they're timeless, but I think we never, you know, we need them now more than ever. So thank you so much.
1: Absolutely, now more than ever. I can give you one last little aside, because um, uh, Britain, you took, you had a great session with him. He <laughs> loved it. He is a pretty remarkable person, but also a great football player, right? Right. But, you know, coming out of high school, he was small, and he's still small now, hasn't grown um, height-wise, um, but he played big. But coming out of high school, no one offered him initially for quite a while. And his friends were getting offers that were good players. He was a really good player, but nobody was offering, not even the Division Two schools. And, oh, wow. and, um, and he was thinking, well, maybe I'm a good high school player, but not a college player. And that's what people were telling him. But he believed in himself. Then suddenly he chose the university of Utah because they came first. They, they saw in him potential and they believed in him and they came to him and said, written, we're going to offer you a scholarship. They're a, you know, pac 12 power five school, the division schools hadn't offered. Didn't think he was big enough. A pack, Then a power five school comes in and says, we believe in you. You can do this. We don't see size we see a talent here. We believe in you. We want you on us. And he shifted his loyalty. He would, he'd been a fan of the rival school, BYU. And he shifted it to Utah because someone believed in him and saw his greatness even more than maybe he saw it in himself at the time. And that inspired him and it unleashed him. And it shifted his loyalty and, and it also brought out the best in him. And it was a trust and inspire approach and what it does to people. So I use, since Britain did such a fabulous job in his podcast, and he's such a, a great football player, you need to know his story is a trust and inspire story mm. of a coach taking a chance on someone and saying, I believe in you and what that does to somebody. And then in this case, it was Kyle Whittingham saying, I believe in you and how, what that did to him, how it changed his world. That's the power of trust and inspire. And you see it, exhibit A my son, Britton.
0: That's awesome. Well, again, I know you've got somewhere to be. So thank you for your time here. I apologize for making you a few minutes late, but it was definitely worth it on my end and to our listeners. And I'm sure of that. Thanks, Destin. Great to be right. with you. To Thanks, everybody. Man. Appreciate you. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify. And help us celebrate the beautiful messy work of shaping human potential.